Right now we are uh, in the throes of a series that is all about what it means to be a Christ follower. And uh, our, our videos we've been playing at the beginning of the service kind of like are playing with that idea of, of Christian versus Christ follower. Because there are so many people in our culture that, that say that they are Christians, but we find so few that are really following Christ. And so we want to explore what does that look like to follow Christ? How is that different than, than just kind of lightly uh, affiliating yourself with him? And so if you remember, the very first message that we had in the series was a, a really powerful one. And it was this idea that, that Jesus, when he came uh, to earth, that he, he looks at you and I. He looked at the, the followers that he initially called to follow him. And he says, you can do what I'm doing. You see the kind of life that I am I'm leading, um, the kind of things that God has called me to. God has called those things to you, called you to those things as well. You can do what I'm doing. Then the week after that, we, we learned that following Christ, though it is a wonderful and exciting thing, that there is a cost. And that the cost of following him is that we have to be all in. We have to make a decision that we are going to follow him 100%. Because if we say that we're going to just kind of try some things or take a few suggestions from his principles and teachings, then really what we've said is no. Because he seeks a relationship with us where, where we fully love him and we have no other mistresses that, that are on the side, fully devoted to him. But following him also requires a decision. It is a choice. And if you think about it, your life has been transformed by decisions. Yes, there are circumstances. Things can happen to you. But you always have a decision on what to do, how to respond, what kind of attitude. And you start to just think for a moment here. Go back to, to when you were in high school and some of the decisions that you made and then in the college and how your life has veered off into a path that, that is either really, really good or really, really bad based on decisions that you made back then. Decisions have a massive impact on our life. And I believe that the most important decision that anybody is ever going to make is the decision on whether or not to follow Jesus. Whether or not to accept his call, to step into what he has called us to. And the reason that I think that this is the most important decision that anybody could ever make is that it is the, it, it is, it's the fact that Jesus is the only solution to the only problem. If we start to think through our lives, and we think about all the issues and all the stuff that we struggle with, the reason I think that, that the decision to follow Jesus is so important is because he is the only solution to our only problem. Well, what's the problem? What is it that we're struggling with? What's that one thing that's at the root of everything else? Well, you've got to remember that when God created. He created with the intention that, that we would be in his image, that we would follow along in creation, that we would trust him and obey him. But God wanted us to truly love him. And if, we just, if he forced his will on us, where there is control and, and, and people being forced, there is no love. So he had to give us a choice, a choice on whether or not we're going to trust him, whether we're going to step into what he has called us to be, or whether we're going to go and do things on our own, 
like a, like a kid who's crying for a toy in the grocery store and not listen to mom and dad. We're going to run off and do our own thing. And so he gives us that choice. And the first man and woman that he created, they chose to do their own thing. You know, we, we suffer some of the consequences from that, but the truth is, is that every day we're making choices to do what we want to do, to trust in ourselves rather than to trust in him. And because of that, we live in a broken world. We are broken. And we know it. We feel it. It's like there's this part of us that looks into our world and says, things should not be the way that they are. But they are that way. And so we're trying to solve it, trying to fix it, trying to do things on our own. But we find that we are still in this broken world and that we in ourselves are broken. You know, the scriptures, they lay this stuff out. And uh, one of the things it says is that, that we have broken hearts. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? What it means is that in the very heart of us, there is something that's just broken in, 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 the, in the sense of what we want to accomplish and what we want to do. And there's times that we feel really good about ourselves because we kind of look on the outside and we think we've really done a pretty good job of projecting ourselves. But what would happen if you went through life and you had a, a little you know, uh, DVD player or some type of little screen that you just wore on your forehead and it was hooked in into your brain. And so you could talk and you could say whatever you want, but whatever you were really thinking popped up on that screen. Can you imagine what a frightening day that would be? There's just something in us that, that just, you know, our thought lives drift into areas that we, we go, we know we shouldn't be thinking about these things. But there is a brokenness inside of us. But it's not just there. It's also with our minds. Like our, really, our ability to think through things has been damaged. Paul, who was one of the great church planners uh, in the first century, he wrote this letter to the Romans, and he was describing us. He's describing um, those that have really decided they're going to run in the direction opposite of, of, of what God has taught us and what he has created and, and the principles of the creation that he's put in place. And he says, For although they knew God, because they could look around, they could sense that he had created this world, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Rather than worshiping God, they worshiped other things. They had other idols that captured their heart, whether it be their career or building wealth or a certain individual or a certain pleasure. They ran after, they worshiped, they devoted their time and attention. That doesn't say, I mean, these people are educated, you know. They think that they're wise, but they're really fools. I mean, right now, who is at the very pinnacle of decision-making in our country? I mean, who's that one person that his whole entire job is to make decisions on, on those things that are so complicated and so detailed that nobody else can, can make that decision? It's the office of the president, Right? I mean, that's what he does. 
He's got all these other people that work for him, but the kind of things that come into his office every day are the toughest decisions because he's supposed to be the wisest person. But I just want you to drift back over the last five presidencies. Just think of the, the, the faces, the names that were in there. And can you think of some really stupid things that these very wise, these very gifted decision makers did? I'm not going to put them on the spot. I'm only going to name what it is, but you know what it is. Every administration, boy, you come down there and you can think of some things that, that even, you know, those of us who haven't been educated at Yale or Harvard or some other place, we go, I wouldn't have made that decision. But when we start to look in our, ourselves in our own lives, we realize that we've made stupid decisions too. I mean, there's something about us that just our minds get messed up. Have you ever heard of this group called Manbola? It's called the Man-Boy Love Association. And it's a group of homosexual pedophiles who, unlike people who hide behind the rock or are sneaking around trying to do this, this is an organization who says that they are not practicing it, but they advocate that this is a very normal uh, type of behavior. And in fact, if you go to some African tribes or even some in the Amazon, this kind of thing happens. And they say that the laws should be changed to make this okay. It's a healthy practice. And I think most of us look at this and go, what is going on with their mind? That they have gotten to a point that they think something like that is healthy. But drift into the own decisions that you've made. Times when you have done something that you now completely regret. But in the moment of doing it, you thought it was the wise thing to do. That's what happens when you live in a broken world. A world that that has departed from what God has called us to do, called us to be. We also experience broken relationships. James, one of uh, uh, the followers, early followers of Christ, uh, said these words. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Have you ever been in a restaurant where they, they're really trying to maximize their economy and they seat the tables like right next to one another? And so you're sitting there at that table and you start to hear conversations from you know, the table right next to you. Anybody ever do this? You don't have to raise your hand here. No? Well, if not, try this sometime. Just don't tell people that your pastor told you to eavesdrop on conversations. But if you have ever heard these, what are the kinds of things that people are talking about? When you start to listen in, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear people talking about how they can't stand their boss. Boss is so difficult. Or their spouse is just frustrating them beyond belief. Or they don't understand their kids. Or they, there's some family members of theirs that they just cannot stand being around. And all these stuff. And you start to hear enough of this, you realize, well, everybody, everybody's got family members like this. Everybody has relational issues. And all of that comes back again to this this one thing, this brokenness, this having missed the mark. This, This sin is what we call this. This is literally what it means to miss the mark of what Christ called us to. But besides messing up our relationship and our minds and our hearts, it also messes with our bodies, doesn't it? Like if you go out there and you do things that you know are contrary to what, what God has intended in the way he's created, you could find that, that you get hooked on some type of substance that you worship more than him. Or maybe what you end up doing is, is, is eating. You overeat. You, you fall into gluttony and you deal with all kinds of health effects because of it. 
or you, you start to have uh, sexual relations outside of the, the guardrails that God has put in place. And you can get STDs. You can get, you can get diseases that will kill you. But besides all the physical things, it's not just those, those outright ones. But when you start to sin, when you live outside of what God has called you to, it can start to just weigh on you. You'll start to feel this heaviness. One psalmist wrote these words. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know who the writer is of the psalm? His name is David. He was considered the greatest king that Israel ever had. In fact, the scriptures say that he was a man after God's own heart. This was somebody that, that when God looked at him, this was one, somebody that just devoted himself. But one day, when the kings went out to battle, and, and, and he was to be with his men, he decided to stay home. And he saw a woman bathing on the top of her roof. A married woman. And he invited her to the palace. And he slept with her. And then he sent her back to her, her home again. But then, after a while, she came back to David and, and she said those famous words, I am pregnant. So David had an issue, a problem. And so he ended up inviting uh, her husband to come home, hoping that her husband would sleep with her. But he was of such moral courage, fortitude, that he couldn't stand to go and, and enjoy the luxuries of being away from you know, the battlefield. So he decided to just sleep there, right at, at, the, at the palace where David was. And so after he would not go home and solve that problem by, by, by tricking him, he sent him back with a message uh, for, the, for the commander to put him in the fiercest battle and pull away. In essence, he had the man carry his own execution order. And so after David had done this, it just started to weigh on him. All the shame, all the guilt. And so when it finally came out, he says, this, I, I needed to release myself of this. When we miss the mark, we know that we're dealing with this stuff. We're dealing with all this mess. But more than all these other effects that you and I experience, experience right now, right now in the here and now, we're dealing with the mess of these broken relationships, of this departing from what God has called us to. There's another thing that's out there, and we can feel it. It's coming in the future. But we all know what's out there. Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Jesus says that there is coming a day, an assessment day, a day of judgment. There's coming a day when we're going to stand before him and all of those who have never missed the mark, who have ever veered off, are going to be listed with those that are the goats. And we know it's coming. You know what's funny is that I know there's a lot of people who say, you know what, I just don't believe that that's going to happen. But I don't believe that they don't believe that's going to happen. Because they don't act like they believe that it's not going to happen. Have you ever, and you have a job where you have evaluations? 
You know that at, the, you know, at a quarterly evaluation, your boss is going to sit down. You've got these certain goals, right? What happens as you start getting closer to that evaluation? You start to go through there and you go, oh, I got this one. Yeah, I got this goal. Ooh, missed this goal, missed this goal. I need to justify why I missed that goal. I need to explain to my boss why, you know, the sales team was not doing their thing. Or, you know, you got to distribute blame because I ultimately am going to go into evaluation with my boss. I'm clean. I'm justified. I didn't make any mistakes. It was all those people around me, right? Or how many of us, when we're going out, and we say, you know, yeah, you know, I, I did something that I shouldn't have done. I lied there, but the only reason I lied is because they're lying over here. And so really, it's not my fault. I'm clean and in the clear. I just did what I did because they did this. Or I, I you know, yeah, okay, I'll agree. Maybe cheating on your spouse isn't the best thing. But you understand, my spouse has been so difficult. And besides, I think I found my real soulmate over here. I'm justified. I'm really in the clean. I had no choice but to do what I'm doing. Why don't we just say, you know what? Yeah, I just, I don't really care what happens to people. Why don't we just say that? See, there's a part of us that tries to make things look clean. There's a part of us that, that knows that there is coming a day of evaluation. And so we, we are preparing for it, even when we don't even think about it. Yet there is come, come a day, and we're going to stand before him, and, and everything that we have ever done, all of our missing the mark, it's all going to be mixed into this folder. All the things, all the shame, all the stuff that you've even forgotten over time. And it's going to be sitting in there. And it's going to be brought before the, the king. And he's going to look in and he's going to have to make a decision based on this. Are you right? Are you clean enough to be with him who is of the purest, of the cleanest? You see, it's in this moment too, not just with all the stuff we're dealing on a daily basis, that we find that Jesus is the only solution to the only problem. It's Jesus who goes in there and he gives us a second chance. We took the communion day. What was that verse? Do you remember what, what Castro laid out here? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, what Christ does is he comes in there and as we stand on this trial, it's a whole courtroom scene that's laid out, right? I mean, you got everybody in there. We have a prosecuting attorney. And you know what the, the Hebrew word for prosecuting attorney for the adversary is? It's Satan. We get our word Satan from it. And Satan's such an interesting character because he's the one who will come in there and he's the one who tempts you. He says, listen, you know, I'm not going to lie to you here. This, this book here is found with some good stuff. You put this into practice, your business will go better, your life, your marriage. I'm not going to lie to you. But in this one particular instance that you're dealing with right now, you kind of, you know, ends just, justify the means. You know, you can skirt it. It's not going to be a big deal. You can always ask for forgiveness later. Not a big deal. I'm with you here, you know. And the moment that you do it and, and you start to destroy other people's lives and you start to, to mess things up, well, then he steps back into the role of prosecuting attorney and says, listen, God is holy and he is good. Yeah, but look, you violated it. You violated it. You are unworthy to be in his presence. But thankfully for us, we have a, a defense attorney, okay? Happens to be the judge's own son. 
but unfortunately they're just so clean that they're, they're not going to you know, just wipe this stuff away. And so what our defense attorney, what Jesus, who is standing next to us, does is he opens up his folder and he takes out everything that he did, his life, and he puts it in our folder. And then he takes all the stuff, all the mess of our own lives and sticks it in his folder. And so we sit over there and, and he says, here, this is my client's um, doings, okay? The judge looks it over. He says, Mark, we'll show you. I see that, that you did nothing but love people, that you were nothing but righteous and clean, that you never had a dirty thought in your life. Welcome into my kingdom. Live with me. Experience the fullness of my love because you are now as clean as I am and as my son is and as the spirit that resides with us. And then Jesus comes and Jesus lays his folder up there. God opens it up. He says, Jesus, I see you've been busy. I see you have been a murderer. I see that you have thought things that are detestable. I see, Jesus, that you have have done things to children. I see that you have have spurned the one that you committed yourself to. And for that, you must die. You must die the death on the cross. That is the price that he paid for you and I. Jesus laid it out there. It is a done deal. He cleans us up from that thing in the future that we know is coming, and he starts to clean us up from right now. And all that we have to do, it's already done. The work has been done. Our defense attorney has taken care of uh, all the, the, the claims against us. All we have is but to believe in him. Any sporting event, you've heard this verse. For God so loved the world. He so loved those that were already messed up, those that were already sinned. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a done deal. You just take it. But it's not something that you can be born into. It's not something that will happen to you or that you have because you walked into a church building or a magnificent theater like this. It's something that you have to decide. You have to choose. But when you choose in your heart, when you choose to believe him and follow him, you have experienced faith. You trust him that he is who he says he is and that he will do the things that he says to do and that he is the ultimate solution, the only solution to the only problem and that following him is all good. And to not follow him is to walk away from that very source, the only solution to the problems that we face. For those that want to follow him, the scriptures tell us there's a way to to express that decision. The faith happens on the inside, but then we are called to repent. Repent is an old word. We don't use it as much as it used to be used. But in Acts 3.19, we're called repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The Greek word there is metanoia, and it means a complete change of direction. It means that you were heading in this direction, and you do a 180, and you go this way. The Hebrew has a little bit different flavor to it. It's teshuva, and it says to return or to go back to where you belong. To go back to, to, to the good graces of God. To once again allow him to be God. And to no longer usurp his role and to trust him in what he has laid out for you. So you, you repent. It's one of the first acts of faith. Nothing you do in repentance, nothing in these changed actions earns it. It's just faith in him. But another thing we're called to do is to confess. 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. There's that word again. We've been trying to justify ourselves on our own. Jesus says, no, you let me take care of it. Don't worry about that stuff. I'll justify you. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's about saying those words out loud. Saying it to other people. Have no fear. I confess. I will follow Jesus Christ. I will follow his path. No matter what anybody else says. No matter what things come against me. I make my stand. I will follow Jesus. And then there is one thing more that we're asked to do. To to just to demonstrate that faith. And it's to be baptized. When a group of men were hearing a, a message for the first time. This message. And, and they like, Peter, what do we do? You've been following Jesus. What do we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for all those times you missed the mark, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means to go down in those baptismal waters and to, to just, through that physical demonstration, say, this is what I am doing. I am dying and I am coming to life again being risen with him, experiencing life the way Jesus had intended it. See, that's the decision. It is a decision that in the moment that you do it, you become innocent, clean, as clean and righteous in God's eyes as Jesus himself. It's why the great prophet Isaiah said that our sins, though they're like scarlet, they're like stains, they're just like grape juice that's just been you know, poured on a white suit, that you could never get out, he says, it's like clean. It's like wiped away. But there was another piece in there, and I don't want you to ever forget this. Not only are you wiped away from that future event that we talked about, but you know all the mess we talked about? Remember what he said here? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the one thing that makes this so different than any other religion out there. This is not just some practices and principles that you put into place. God says that I'm going to give you a down payment on that, on that future life that you're going to have with me. I'm going to put my spirit and it's going to reside in you. And it is a supernatural thing. It's not the power of positive thinking. It is power living inside of you. And it will speak to you at times. And it will draw you to different situations and different people. And it will remind you of certain things at certain times. And in fact, this is such an important area that next week is all about what the, the spirit does. But I, I just want to tell you right now, when I lay this stuff out, and I'm telling you about this decision that's made, I'm not speaking to you like a theologian who has studied these things and is telling you what this book says. Right? I'm not some academian that's trying to just get the message right. I speak to you as one who has experienced this, as one who has stepped through that doorway on the other side. Is it really a Holy Spirit? Does it really work in your life? Does God really come in and do things? I'll tell you, I have seen so many amazing things in my life. I've seen and at times felt the Spirit working in powerful ways. And so I invite you to make this decision, to step across. Step across that line. Now, there are some of you who are here and you just the first couple times you're coming and, and you're checking this out. And I want to invite you to continue to check things out. Continue to soak this in. Continue to learn. 
But for some of you, you've been hanging around here a long time now. And there's, there's only a limited amount of time to make this decision. It's like right now, it's kind of like for some of you, what you're doing is you're living with God. You know, and you like it because God kind of, he does the laundry for you and he makes you some meals. But you haven't married him yet. And the only reason that God is hanging around is because he loves you so much. And he thinks that if he's just hanging around a little longer, if he just holds it off a little bit longer, that you're going to make that full commitment to him. But there is coming a day, like anybody who's in that situation, that he's going to say, okay, you've made your choice. You're not going to commit to me. But for those who walk across and make that decision, there is this verse from 1 Corinthians. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond pale, beyond comparison. But do you believe it's really on the other side? And are you willing to make that decision for him? What this comes down to is Jesus is saying, I want to rescue you. I'm going to rescue you from everything that you're struggling with. Come, come to me now. Heavenly Father, the things that we read in your, in your scriptures, the things that have been spoken, the times that you've spoken to others and they have spoken to others, and those others have written it down, and we have it here, are but words on a page. They are testimonies of people who have had an experience with you. And they lure us, and they call to us. And then we feel the working of your Spirit on the outside as you begin to draw us in. But I ask this very morning, for those that have not made that decision, have not said, I'm going to follow you, that you would give them the courage to step across that line, to accept your son, and to follow him. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.